This is the Disability Visibility Podcast with your host, Alice Wong. Hola. Welcome to the Disability Visibility Podcast. Conversations on disability politics, culture, and media. I'm your host, Alice Wong. Every political issue is a disability issue. And as a daughter of immigrants, I know that immigration is an important disability issue. Today, I get a chance to talk with Conchita hernandez Rigoretta about her experiences as a disabled immigrant. Conchita was born in Mexico and grew up in California. She advocates for the rights of blind children and their parents in public schools in the United States and abroad. Georgina is the founder and chair of BETAS, which stands for Bettering, Engaging, and Teaching All Students, a nonprofit organization that trains educators in Latin America that work with blind, low-vision students and other disabilities. She's also the co-founder of the National Coalition of Latinx with Disabilities that seeks to amplify the voices of disabled Latinx to the disability rights movement. Currently, Kajita works as a blind and low vision specialist for the state of Maryland. For more after this episode, check out another short interview that I did with Kajita for the podcast on the 30th anniversary of the ADA, which is episode 82A. So much good stuff. Are you ready? Away we go! So, Katrina, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. So, why don't you introduce yourself and just... Share a little bit about yourself to the audience. Um, so I'm Conchita Hernandez. I currently live in D.C. Um, I work for the Department of Education in Maryland um, around um, the state blind and low vision specialist. I grew up in California, um, born in Mexico, and um, I'm blind and I do advocacy work and disability work and kind of a little bit of everything. And we're talking in June 2020, in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, and you know, I just want to ask how you and your family are doing so far. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting time. Um, so I'm I'm good. I'm working from home. I live, um, like I said, in D.C., and I'm kind of by myself right now. Um, my roommate is in California, so... It's a little challenging because I'm definitely an extrovert. And so being home is not my ideal situation, um, but I'm healthy and stuff. So it's so I'm doing good and I'm working from home and I have a job. So I've been I've been good and um, kind of connecting with folks in a different way. Um, I'm generally not the best at connecting with people, to tell you the truth. Um, and so I think this has really um kind of made me do it because, you know, it's important to do and to stay connected. So um, just kind of learning new things and 
trying out kind of what what's going on so yeah Immigration story? Um, yeah, so um, something I wanted to kind of mention about was how like disability and immigration go hand in hand, and I don't think people really think about it as kind of being similar. Um, so I'm I was originally born in Mexico and I'm part of five siblings. Um, my brother is also blind, like myself, and um, originally we um, my parents were like, we're going to go to the United States for a couple of months and check it out and see what it's like. And we're going to come back. Um, so we had no intention of staying in the United States. So we came on um, a visa and my parents definitely saw how different it was, um, especially for my brother and I, where we were able to, um, you know, get any type of services Um you know, we, we were at the time, um, California had like really good health and not really good actually, but they had insurance, um, for undocumented children. So, um, I was able to take care of advantage of that. And my brother was as well. We were able to have IEPs, even though they, now that I know better, I, they were horrible, but, um, I think my parents saw the difference of what, um, being in the United States meant, specifically to disability. Um, and so they did, um, over, so we decided to overstay our visas and we, um, became undocumented. And so I was undocumented from when I got here, which I, I was about five years old, um, until like right before college. So I was like 18, almost 19. And for people who don't know what IEPs are, do you mind if you just explain what that is real quick? Yeah, so an IEP is if you have um, a disability in school, you have the right to a free appropriate public education. So you have the right to be in school, to whatever it is that you need to be able to flourish in, in public education. Um, so depending on the disability, it can be a lot of different things, um, but it's it's a legal document. And, and that's something that my parents really didn't understand. Um, and also a lot of parents that don't speak English is not explained very well to them. So my parents were like grateful. They were like, oh, this is so great that they're doing this for us. Almost like a favor. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, it's not a favor that they're being nice to us. It's, it's the law. Like, it's a legal binding document. So it's, it's a really, really important thing that um, definitely makes this country unique from other countries um, that we have access to that in public school. And that could in itself be a whole podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh so when did you first realize that you were undocumented? So, so I feel like it's all kind of blended together. So originally when we came to the United States, my parents didn't tell us the truth because they were scared that we were going to say something as children. Um, so originally when we came and we came on a visitor's visa, um, they told us we were going to Disneyland. And so I was like, yes, this is like a, you know, five-year-old's dream. So they had us like dressed up in like Mickey Mouse ears and sweaters and stuff. And so we were ready for Disneyland. And then we got here and it's like, yeah, we're not going to Disneyland. So I think from that point on, it was kind of like, okay, there's some, you know, something's going on. And my family was very honest with us talking about it. Like we all knew it. Um, because it, 
it was just a part of our life. Um, you know, it, it impacted every, every part of like my parents being able to be employed, um, you know, who you could be friends with. Um, so I think it was something where my parents talked about it openly um, with us and, and had very honest conversations. Um, but it was also um, a conversation about don't tell anybody else. Um, so while we talked about it, like none of my friends knew about it or anybody in school, just because you always have um, this fear that if somebody, if something happens or somebody gets upset with you or whatever, then they could use that against you. And it's, it can really completely harm you and your family. So it was definitely like, this is something, you know, and this is something you learn um, kind of how to navigate the world. And then you learn also to keep it a secret. And keeping that secret and also clearly being a fear of discovered and, you know, the threat of, you know, deportation must have really shaped everything about how you navigate the world. And how did that kind of shape you as a young person in terms of just doing a lot of kind of emotional labor to really keep yourself and your family it's safe. Um, yeah, I think there's, you know, there's so many different things that that involves. Um, and I think one of them is from a very young age, I understood that there was two worlds, um, that one of them was like, the white, able bodied, educated school world. And then there was a whole nother world of other people who had a very different reality. Um, with lived experience and with being the way you navigate the, um, the world, the, the town I grew up in in California, it's, it's a very heavily policed town. Um, I think, you know, kind of bringing it back to like things that are happening now, the police was never a sense of safety and a sense of like community and whatever. It was always a sense of like very much panic. Um, and in California and still to this day, depending on where you live, um, you can get pulled over by the police for, you know, having a broken headlight and um, and be deported. So it, it's definitely kind of learning how to kind of deal with all those things. Um, one of the things that also to, my, to myself, so I, 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 I have I'm very light skinned. Um, I, I look white. And so I think in that sense, I learned how to navigate um, all of these worlds kind of differently. Um, and because of that, I was kind of the spokesperson sometimes. Like if there if there had to be any type of encounter, it's like, oh, okay, you go talk to them. Um, and so I had to learn how to like, on the inside be like, oh my God, what is going to happen? But then on the outside be like, hi, how can I help you? And um, kind of learn to navigate that um, that world that was like white speaking and um you know able-bodied like I at the time I, I I wasn't open with my disability and so um it wasn't something that you could notice right away um so it's kind of like learning how to navigate all those things as a child and and kind of learning um how that impacts you but also I think it it definitely um made me have a sense of like understanding injustice and definitely wanting to be 
a part of um, that change. I, I always talk with some friends and um, we we're talking about like, what did we do in high school? Um, like, what were you involved in? What, what it is that you were doing? And I was like, you know, in high school, my friends and I were planning um, walkouts um, for immigration reform. So that's what I was doing because I think we, we all kind of understood um, how it impacted. So it's, it's, there's so many different ways looking at that. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's, that's a huge responsibility uh, placed on you. And I'm sure that this is very similar to what a lot of, you know, kids of immigrants. I mean, immigrants have to like grow up so fast, you know, especially young people who just have to kind of deal with all these situations. Yeah, and absolutely. And I think as, um, you know, children of immigrants and, and immigrants, we we take a lot of roles on that um, that other kids don't. Um, one of them is like translating for your parents. Um, you know, I, I I didn't have good like I mentioned good IEP services or um, or what I consider good quality teachers. Um, I have a master's now in, in being a teacher of blind students, and I'm getting a doctorate in special education, and I'm in the educational world. Like that's what I do as a job, and so I understand. Um, kind of where all the bad holds were. But one of the things was like, I was translating at my IEP meetings for my parents. Um, and that's just not something a child should be doing. Um, when you're talking about something such like a legal document that your parents should know about, um, or, you know, doctor's offices, um, translating things that your parents need to be doing, like, it's just not something that a child should be doing. What was it like for you to apply for a great car? Because, you know, what were the hurdles and also just the challenges? Because I think, as you mentioned earlier, you know, people just assume it's a very smooth path. Like, there's there's a linear path, right? And it's not really the truth. So, like, what was your, you know, what did it take for you to be able to get your great car? Um, yeah, so... Growing up, my parents were always kind of looking for the process to help. Um, we had a lawyer we had for like ever who ended up like scamming us and taking all this money and we got nowhere. Um, and so um, my parents are divorced and um, my dad married. And so I was able to get a green card because I was right at the cutoff age um, for when my dad got married, that I was able to get a green card. Um, I have other siblings, and that was not the case for them. So, um, so uh, most people in this country that are, are undocumented, we call like a mixed status family. So you have some family members that are documented and some that are not. Um, so that's the case with myself. So it, it was a long, long, long process um, where uh, I was a minor at the time. So you know, you go through an interview, they ask you all these questions and stuff, but it's just getting there felt like a lifetime. Um, there's millions of people in this country that are undocumented. And I feel like people think like, oh, well, why don't they just become documented? And people want to become documented. Nobody's like, oh my God, I love the undocumented life. And this is what I want forever. Um, people do it because there's no other choice. Um, so it's, it's a very, very difficult process to go through. 
And what was life like uh, in terms of your access to services and also opportunities once you got your green card, especially as a disabled person? Like, was there a huge difference? There, there was. It was a huge difference because I was able to go to college. Um, so I was right at the point in my senior year of college where I was undocumented and I was, you, you know, you, I couldn't get FAFSA. Um, I couldn't get any, I mean, you can't get any type of support. Um, and so I was my senior year in high school and my counselors were like, well, you know, you just can't get FAFSA. Um, and you just can't do all these things. So I was like, oh my gosh. So luckily for me, it was just like the universe worked in my favor. Um, not to say that it doesn't work in other people's favors because I feel very lucky. But my senior year in high school, I, I finally got um, my status adjusted. And so I ended up going to like a really expensive private college because the application for that school was later on. And so I could apply. Um, and so that that's how it changed for me. Um my counselors never told me rehab existed. And when we're talking about rehab, we're talking about uh, vocational rehabilitation services, which is a state program that's available across the country, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I never, I went all through undergrad not knowing a single thing about disability or um, that I could get services or anything like that. So once I learned about rehab and services, it changed, that changed my life. Um, because then I was able to um, learn the things that I needed to do to live as a disabled person. Um, because I always say like, I was living, like I was pretending I was able bodied, but it was very, very difficult. Um, Cause I would uh, like pretend that I could do things and, but I didn't really know how to do them. And so it was like this, I'm going to pretend to you that I'm able bodied, but I don't even know how I'm doing it. And um, so it wasn't a great situation, but having status allowed me to get rehab services and allowed me to get the training I needed. And that's what really changed my life. In what ways is immigration a disability issue? Mm -hmm. So, um, one of the ways is that, you know, like, like my example, there's a lot of people who are here with disabilities through immigration. Um, So like, I have a friend who um, is from Sudan, and he's here um, due to immigration, he's a refugee, and also, um, you know, he has a disability. And what people don't realize is there's a lot of countries that don't take people with disabilities. And so in his particular case, um, his brother was sent to Australia first. And the idea was that the family would stay together, but Australia doesn't take people with disabilities that are refugees. And so he ended up being separated from everybody else because they were like, you can't go. Um, and so he came to the United States and wasn't able to see them. Um, just disability and immigration are part of kind of what have woven this country together. And they're a part of why a lot of families are here that couldn't go elsewhere. Um, Disability is just such a part of the human experience. And so is immigration. Um, And so the two kind of always in my mind have gone together because it's been a part of my experience. Yeah. And I feel like one of the most uh, 
explicit examples of this is, you know, the public charge rule, because, you know, originally, yes, I think, uh, you know, disabled people were able to immigrate to the U.S., but, you know, with the public charge rule, you know, people who are deemed, you know, who may need services, who may need, you know, entitlement programs can't be excluded now under the public charge rule. And that's, yeah, that's pretty explicit in terms of just excluding disabled people as, you know, prospective immigrants. Yeah, it, it, and the thing about the public charge rule is you, it's exactly what you said. You're excluding immigrants with disability from the opportunity of immigrating. Um, where that's what other countries were doing, and the U.S. was one of the few countries where that wasn't the case, and so now it is. Um, and so, like, under the public charge, there's specific programs that exclude you from adjusting your status, um, and they're like SSI, Medicare, food stamps, housing. And so at this moment, there are immigrants in the United States who are going hungry be- because they may be able to adjust at a future time and they don't want that and they don't want um them receiving food stamps as a reason why they're not able to adjust status so we're finding a lot of a lot of issues right now where immigrant families are making very difficult decisions and how do you tell a family no 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 don't do that but they're really doing it in the best way that they can how do you how do you measure what's more important like to eat today or to possibly years in the future, be able to adjust immigration status. And so those are the decisions people are making um, and that this administration is forcing people to make. Um, And for people with disabilities, you know, if you have a disability and you can't receive Medicare, you're in a really difficult position. And so families are making that decision for their children and saying, okay, fine, you, we will help, we will get something for you because you have a disability, but we know you're not going to be able to adjust status. So it's it's a very difficult position to be in. So, uh, speaking of, like, you know, this time period that we're living in, how have you personally dealt with just, you know, the racism and just uh, xenophobia and relentless attack on immigrants, especially undocumented people, uh, you know, in the last few years under this administration, such as the public charge rule. You know, you talked a lot about the intersection of disability. It's intersection of disability and immigration, but like, how have you really kind of dealt with it? Because it's just, it's incredibly painful and hurtful to so many communities. Yeah, it it is. And and I think part of it is I had to com- compartmentalize so much growing up being like, okay, this is school and this is white people and this is, you know, how you talk and then this is home. And I think I still do that. I mean, I think in a way it helps. <laughs> um so I think one of the ways that I deal with it is being active and fighting for change. It it's kind of being part of movements that are working for change. And sometimes it's, you know, helping to organize something. And sometimes it's like talking to somebody on the phone. Um, Cause I think there's so much pressure to be like on the streets, marching and doing stuff. Um, But I think 
right now for me it looks like different things depending on um when it is um you know being able to kind of do some things that work for change and being able to have like a network of supportive people um who you can just talk shit with <laughs> who you can be like oh my god i can't believe this happened and you can just like vent and send memes i think finding joy in all the things joy is part of how you heal and how you move on and live because then you're just fighting oppressive systems that are never going <laughs> to work in your favor so it's yeah that's part of it Why don't I just wrap up our conversation and, you know, ask you, what do you think of, how can people support undocumented immigrants? Um, what do you think is most helpful right now? Um, so I think the most helpful right now is getting informed about what's happening. Um, I feel like there's always a pressure to have um, comprehensive immigration reform. So, um, depending on how elections go, that's either off the table or not. Um, and and really, I, I would recommend if people want to get informed, um, United We Dream is a really awesome organization and they are always posting information on how you can sign petitions, how you can support, how you can, um, you know, help. There's constantly people um, in deportation proceedings, constantly. And one thing that has helped is getting petitions around it. If if somebody is in deportation proceedings and they can build a campaign around them to say, no, 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 the community wants them to stay, it has stopped some of them, not all of them. So being able to be part of that community where you can show up and say, okay, I'm going to sign this petition that's literally going to take me five seconds, but it's going to block somebody's deportation. Um, will make a huge difference. So just be informed. And if you want to know more, I would suggest United We Dream as an organization to kind of follow. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to share that I just, you know, that you'd like to talk about or just anything that, any final comments about immigration and disability? Um, I think it's just, I just, I, I really do hope that this year is a transformative year in all of our mindsets. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of negative about like, oh, how this is such a difficult year. And it, it absolutely is. You know, I've had people close to me pass away um, to COVID and stuff. But I also think that people are beginning to realize what's actually happening. White people, <laughs> white able-bodied people are finally beginning to be informed and understand what's going on and so my hope is that this year with ADA kind of being at the forefront that it we reimagine what that looks like um it's no longer about you know do I have the ramp to go into it still is we still don't have ramps and oh my god it's horrible um but it's not just do we have a ramp and can I come into your business but like how can I flourish how can I be a leader how can I um live my life fully in the way that is best for me without the pressures of 
capitalism and without the pressures of, you know, independence and without the pressures of, you know, living by myself and without the pressures of all these things. So like reimagining what it can look like for every, for all different people in the disability community and people that aren't part of the disability community, how we can reach out and really transform what the next 30 years look like. I love it. Thank you, Shotita. Thank you for having me. This podcast is a production of the Disability Visibility Projects. Dear all the community, dedicated to creating, sharing, and amplifying disability media and culture. All episodes, including text transcripts, are available at disabilityvisibilityproject.com slash podcast. You can also find out more about Katrina on my website. The audio producer for this episode is Geraldine Asu. Introduction by Latif McFound. The music by Wilcher Sports Camp. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Medora, or Google Podcasts. You can also support our podcast for a dollar a month or more by going to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dvp. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash dvp. Thanks for listening. Day see you on the internet. Bye! Rocket to the blast stop. Stop, drop, dance off.